Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. It can be 20 minutes where you start your day intentionally with calm. You don't roll over and grab the phone because what happens is you look at these like presumably work emails and you're not in the office to really do anything about it. So you're not actually working, but your mind is spinning in work and you're still lying in your bed or you're walking around your house in your rub, you're not relaxing. So you're split, right? Wherever you want to be, you want to be whole. Hey, senorita, really nice to meet ya. Have some tequila and stay. This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's Aaron Falconer, author of How to Get Shit Done, Why Women Need to Stop Doing Everything So They Can Achieve Anything. It definitely got my attention. I'm hypervigilant. I'm always 100 miles an hour, busy, but I'm not really accomplishing anything. I start something and then I'll see something over here and I go do that. So everything's like a little bit done, but nothing is actually done. I feel overwhelmed and I needed this book. I just finished it and it is tangible steps on how to get shit done. It's not just like a motivational do better. Aaron is also the editor-in-chief of the self-improvement website, Pick the Brain. Can't wait to get into this conversation. Please do me a favor and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. It helps me out so much, and it will help you to get an alert every time a new Squats and Margaritas episode drops. Here is my episode with Aaron Falconer. I think I found you through somebody else that I interviewed's Instagram, and I saw that you had a newer book, How to Break Up with Your Friends. Yes. But- Digging deeper, (laughs) I want to talk about your first book, How to Get Shit Done, Why Women Need to Stop Doing Everything So They Can Achieve Anything. And I was surprised you almost didn't write it. You were about to tell your editor that you weren't going to do it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I kind of talk about this in the book a little bit, but you know, this is, uh, it was a very long journey to writing that book. I originally moved to Los Angeles to become, to be a writer and that failed spectacularly. And then I did a whole bunch of other things after hitting rock bottom in the startup world um, and creating my blog and stuff like that. And then also working for startups. And I got a call from a New York lit agent, you know, and I, I used to get like hit up pretty frequently with different offers to do things and stuff, but this one sounded different. And so I scheduled a call and before the call was, you know, we had the call, I started to get very, very excited. And I started to come up with all these different ideas of what I could write about. And when I got on the call, I was like, so how should we do this? Should I like pitch you these ideas or da da da? And she was like, wait, what? No, we, we want the book to be about you. And I was so deflated and uh, was like, who, uh, who would read this book? <laughs> like, she, you know, she said, well, you know, you've done this and you've done this and you've done this. And I got off the phone and I was like, oh, this is uh, another thing where I got really excited and not going to pan out. And I went into, happened to go into the office the next morning and I looked around at the women I was working with and I was like, I feel like we're suffering all from the same thing because after, you know, I'd gotten off the call and that agent had listed some of the things that I'd achieved all night. I started to think about like, Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that is cool. And I did raise this money and I, you know, we do have a million followers and, you know, and that was the first time I kind of stopped and took stock of that stuff. That was like the first time in like probably 12 years that I literally even sort of looked at my life or my accomplishments in a, in a snapshot. 
And so when I went into the office the next morning and I looked around, I was like, I feel like we're all doing the same thing. We just have our heads down and we're just going, going, going. And we like, do not stop to reflect. We do not stop to pivot. We do not stop to take stock. We're just like automatic pilot. And so what's it all for? This is what we're going, going, going like right into a brick wall, (laughs) you know? And so, and that's what I'm seeing. And, you know, now as a therapist before, like maybe I want to say like, I don't know, six or seven years ago through my blog or through my podcast, all the queries would be about like time management and getting more done. And in the last like pre pre pandemic years, two to three pre pandemic years, I was getting more and more queries about burning out, feeling tired, anxious, anxiety. And like, there was this big shift and I was like, here we go. This is exactly what's happening. And so anyways, after kind of having this epiphany in my office, I was like, oh my God, there is actually a book here. This is the book. And yes, it'll be a little bit about me, but it's almost going to also be real time as I take in the, you know, as I kind of try and undo these thought processes or redo these things of like how I got to where I was. And so I called the agent back and I was like, what about this? And she was like, love it. Anyway, so yes, it almost didn't happen. I'm so glad it did. <laughs> I feel seen. Um, <laughs> I have actually like, I have a therapist and I, I started to see her for my anxiety and like after two sessions, she was like, there's something else going on here. She's like, you're also hyper vigilant. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you were 150 miles an hour all the time. Cause I would talk to her about like, my husband is sometimes like, like reacts to me because I'm so like, come on, come on, come on. And I really thought about it. It is, I mean, to my detriment, and I, it did make me feel better that other women are like this and reading your book, but like, I can't, Aaron, like go for a run if yeah. laundry isn't going or my dishwasher, I have to have things moving and feel like I'm accomplishing something. And right. I live and die by right. my to-do list, yeah. crossing things off. And that's how I, that's my worth. Like at the end yeah. of the day was everything crossed off. Right. And I will even admittedly, if I did something and it's not on the to-do list, I will write it on the to-do list and so I, I can cross it. <laughs> like it's that, that. that. and I, I, I grade myself by it, but you're, yeah. what you said in the book, it's like busy isn't equaling productive. Like yeah. I love how you said like hamster wheel, you're moving, you're moving, you're moving, you're yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah. And that's what I think where most people live. Like for me specifically, I will start something and I'll be like doing the dishes and I'll look to my left and there's like a mess. So I'll stop the dishes. I'll start th- this over here. Nothing ever gets done because I'm just a little bit everywhere and 150 miles an hour. And it's exhausting, but I feel like it's societal. Like yeah. that's what women do. And I have to show my worth and yeah. validate myself by look at all the things I crossed off yeah. and that is truly, I like, I will have a good or bad day based on if the things are crossed off the list. Yeah. And I live in what I learned from you. It's all left brain, like do, do, do. Can right. you talk about like left brain versus right brain when you're super busy and you don't yeah. give yourself that time? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the brain is divided up into, you know, two hemispheres, left and right. And left is very kind of reason oriented and action oriented and logic oriented. And the right is very, uh, in in your feelings and in your you know in kind of your felt sense as opposed to your like intellectual um your your intellectual abilities and what we 
what, what we do is we lean far, far, far into the left side of the brain because this is the things we think, we, this is the part of us that thinks we can control things, right? Yeah. And so it's like creating lists, let's create structure, let's create, but the world is not created in structure in a sense, right? I mean, it, it operates in, you know, because of structure, but it was not created in structure, right? And so all, all of who you really are, your real true personality, your true identity, I like to say your fingerprint is actually in the right side of your brain. That is the creative you. The problem is we get the, the more you lean into the left, the farther you the farther you kind of bend away from the right. And and what that means to me is the further and further and further we become from ourselves. In other words, we become the to-do list. Yes. Right? The to-do <laughs> list is only to get something larger done. That, 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 that speaks to kind of the core value of who you are. That's the, you're getting stuff done to accomplish in a perfect world, to accomplish something that moves the entire you forward. What happens is we're getting these things done and we're stuck on a loop. All we're doing is moving the list forward, forward or the agenda forward. You are getting farther and farther from that, from that trajectory. You as yes. a person, you as an individual, you or whatever. And this is particularly... I think unique to women because we do not have the ability um, and, and there are flaws around this, but there are a lot of good things. I think that, you know, when I, when I watch how men operate their ability to compartmentalize and be say, this is this, and now I am done this and walk away. This is this. And now I'm done this and walk away. We have all the tabs open all the time. <laughs> Yes. Right. And so like, even when we like get our work done at the office and then go out for a drink with a friend, we're talking about our work, mm -hmm. right? There's, when the guy, the, when the co male coworker goes out for work, a drink with his friend, he leaves what he's doing at the office, has a beer and they're talking about something that is a, a connection to them, whether it's like, look at the game on TV yeah. or whatever it is, but it's their ability to like push send on an email and then be done with that mentally is uh, this is why we have wrinkles you know what I mean? <laughs> this is why you know this is uh, it, so uh, the whole goal is is counterintuitive to what we're doing now what we need to be doing is positioning ourselves with a real intention around the right brain now you have to have both there's no you have to you have to have logic you have to have reason you have to have structure you have you know that is of course but you just can't become that can't become your handicap right mm -hmm. And so the thing is, the more bus the busier we get and the more chaos there is, I think the more afraid we are to sit with ourselves, right? Because we just don't even know. It's been so long since we've actually had, you know, calm, since we've been able to, to since we're able to say, well, what do I really want? And the longer you don't do that, the more daunting it feels like it is. So then yep. we just pack on more things on our schedule. And the longer you don't do that, the longer you don't, you know, take the time to dial down the chaos, the scarier a proposition it becomes. And so we just, you know, this is all subconscious, but we just are running, running, running from who we really are because the pro the prospect of trying to get there now to dig deep, it just feels insurmountable. But, yes. you know, we have a, a responsibility you know, you only have one life. You're making me think,
that seems indulgent to me. I can't just sit with myself. Like I have all this guilt about sitting because it's like you said, you do all the stuff to free up more time to do more stuff, (laughs) not, not to sit. Right. And, and what I talk about in the book there is that, you know, for basically into the entire history of civilization, women have really never been, you know, equal in terms of, you know, the workplace. And obviously we can go, you know, make the money and, you know, how much we make and all that stuff. But for me, the internet was like being, you know, one of the great equalizers, yeah. right? Because all of a sudden we were, we're, we were able to kind of start to do away with the traditional nine to five hierarchy, which, you know, is, is such an impediment, especially if you have, you know, children yes. and you know, you've got to do draw you all that stuff. Um, and then all, all new industries are popping up, you know, different, all of a sudden we're not bound by traditional ways of thinking around work. And I was like, yes, yes. And, and this, um, benefited women like incredibly right and so this started to really even the playing field but the problem is you know women being women as you just said we this allowed us to free up more time and to be able to do you know get very creative with how we're working and how we're thinking about work and so we just freed up a lot more time to then just do more stuff and the Mm -hmm. idea is that you free up more time to then live and experience and be, and I know that sounds new agey, but I really don't mean it in a new agey way. It's like, that's the thing is we just can't keep doing more and more and more. At what point do you stop? Did the list never end? So psychologically that's untenable, right? You just feel like you're not measuring up because you're never going to meet this impossible standard that you've set for yourself. So you're always like, tomorrow I got to get more done tomorrow. Yeah. And I think also just looking at those standards, it's like, where are these standards coming from? A mm-hmm. lot of them at, the, at this point are self-imposed. It certainly didn't start out that way. It was yep. very much like women need to do X, Y, and Z. And if they're not doing this, they're not that. And if they're not doing this, they're not that. And so there, and then that was, you know, culturally through the media, but at this point, and again, because we've just assumed so much of that identity, but I just, I'm like, I've got to do this. I should be doing this. And as I say, sure. the book should is one of the most dangerous words in the English language, as far as I'm concerned, for women, because should, according to who, who are we listening to? Because it's not us, right? It is me. But I know that I, I have self-imposed this guilt and this standard on myself, but it's based on what I feel other women are doing. And I may not be seeing the, the whole picture, but it's like, I have all this noise that I work from home. Like you said, with the internet, I can do my show from home. I see my friends that have like nine to five jobs. They don't have a nanny. They come home and cook dinner. And I'm like, I have to, I have to meet that standard. And and like, I've had other women on there. Like, you don't know that they don't have a nanny. You don't know that they don't door dash every night. She's like, Instagram, you put out what you want people to see. So she's like, you're trying to compete with something that may not even be real. And it's a self-imposed pressure to meet the standard of what other working moms do. Right. Yeah. My favorite thing to say is like this, this idea of a working mama and we don't call anybody a working dad, just that <laughs> Yes. right there. It's like this label, right. Which there's like, somehow like we're wearing it as like a badge, like I'm a working mom, but this innate guilt, like I'm a mom who works. Yes. Or I'm yes. A wor- and so just a starting point, like all this stuff matters, you know? And so we have to start really paying attention to it because 
the way that distills down into, you know, how we're operating is really, um, can be dangerous, you yes. know, I mean, and, and at, at the worst point, but like also just irresponsible and, and a real missed opportunity, I guess, in the best case scenario. Yes. And it, we're just not wired the same way as men. And you talk about early in the book, like put yourself first. That seems wrong. Like as a mom, you can't, you're like, no, you're last. I mean, that's how I live. And I feel like that's how it is. Like you're the mom. Like you're, you, you can't put yourself first. Like it doesn't seem, it's like you gave me permission to right. think that way. Cause I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when I was first, which actually just about to give birth to my son, George, my dad, who's a psychiatrist, not, I mean, he wasn't saying this in a, in a therapeutic way to be, but he has spent a large portion of his life in the space. He said, this is what your instinct is going to be. In order of priority, it's going to be your son, your husband, and then you. He's like, you have to not do that. And the inclination is because, well, I have to protect my child. I have to create, you know, I have to give everything. And my dad said, what that child, the best case scenario for that child is a happy home, which means you have to prioritize you and your relationship above that child. If you can prioritize your relationship and yourself, you will create a world that is very, very healthy and supportive for the child. But what do we do? We throw everything, everything comes last in ourselves, distant, in distant last place. Mm -hmm. And that creates a, a lot of stress that creates a lot of anxiety. And even if it's not like that's, you're leading with that, it's there, right? Because again, you're, you're, the best thing that you can do is create a loving, supporting environment. And the only way you can do that is be reasonably happy and intact yourself. And then of course the relationship, you know, not every child is brought into this world, of course, with like a married, uh, you know, couple, but if you are in that situation, again, and also I feel like as women too, like over time, we have this martyr complex, which I absolutely <laughs> can't stand. I have I, it. I apologize. And look at everything I did. Nobody even helps me. And I did all these things. No, I've got it. Mommy's got it. Mommy will do it. Right. That is so taxing. On <laughs> yes, you know what I mean? And I talk a little bit about that in the book too. Like I have a husband that's, you know, luckily... Uh, he's certainly not perfect, but he does a lot of like on his own, you know, his own volition. He does a lot of the like housework. Like he's, he's always like doing the, you know, putting dishes in the dishwasher and then, you know, that kind of stuff and putting laundry in. And I, at the beginning of a relationship would get so irritated because like the dishes would be not be put back yeah. the way I would do them. And, you know, <laughs> I'd be like, ah, I'll just do it. And I'm like, you know, and then I had an epiphany. I was like, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? And by the way, who knows? There's no right way to put the dishes away, you know? I so know. Even that is like a fallacy, you know? Yes. A lot of like, we're doing everything, but then nobody can do what we do. And yes. it's like, then what, what are you doing? Yes. How you can't win. That equation? It's basic math. Where are you going to end up after the equal sign? Not happy. Yes. And I know that. And it's like you, you were saying too, in the book, like 
I expect my husband to be like, I have a baby over here. I'm doing the dishes. I'm running the bath. The timer's going on the oven. I expect him to be like, I should do something, but yeah. I don't ask him. Right. What I do is just nag him and bitch about it. Yeah. Like you don't even help me, but I don't, you're right. Like I don't ask him because it's like, then if I ask him, I didn't do everything. And then I have to relinquish my crown of all the things yeah. that I do. And that's, what's important right. to me. And I'm miserable living that way. That's right. And that's the thing. So much of this is self-imposed yes. and, and I get why we got here, how we got here, because again, like we didn't, this was not, did not start out an even playing field. And you know, our entire, you know, in the modern work field, you know, up until the internet, this is a system created by men for men. And so our whole thing is like trying to fit in and trying to, you know, and so we don't want to rock the boat. We just, feel lucky to be here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think like, I get why we are holding on to control and stuff because for so long, so much of that stuff is out of control. Even if you have a university degree and a career and a stuff, it's just still not, it's just not, again, we're working in systems that were, do not speak to the way we work innately or inherently. Right. That's yeah. again why I think the internet was just blew that up in such a good way. But so I get why what a lot of the stuff is self-imposed and like comes from like a deeply kind of subconscious place. But at this point now we know. And so we've got to take responsibility for that. And like only totally. we can start to change like our, our own narrative. And then hopefully like the collective narrative, you know, around this idea that like we have to, it's our way. And if people don't know, <laughs> and woe is me, and, you know, and then, and like, I even looked around and like, you know, then when I go and meet, um, you know, girlfriends for drinks, this is all we're talking about. Like, can you believe like, uh, you know, just like I was there holding a baby, just the scenario, da, da, da. and then like, I had to also like take the pizza out of the oven or, you know, yep. whatever, thing, or, you know, whatever. And it's like, you just yeah, sat there. Yeah. And you just sat there. Oh yeah. And then it, we're just like creating this entire thing, right? Mm -hmm. This living, breathing. No, stop. Stop. Yes. <laughs> no. You know what I do though? I said it earlier, like that's how I validate myself. Like all the things I do around the house. And it's, I'm just speaking for myself. My husband is the, I'm like, I'm starting to make some money now. My brand is taking off, but my husband is by far the provider. So right. my contribution is everything, literally everything else except right. finance. Like he financially provides and my contribution is everything else. So my fear is if I start giving him things to do, I mean, right. obviously they won't be done right. And that will annoy me, but what did I do? And then it's like, what will other people say? Like your husband does these things and you don't work. Like it's again, self-imposed guilt. Like if I don't do these things to validate myself, I'll feel like I'm not measuring up as a mom and a wife. This is how I contribute. And if I delegate that, it's like, what did you even do today? Right. Yeah. It's a really slippery slope. And I, I think that's, you know, look, if you have not you, but if one has decided that their job is going to be taking care of the kids, you know, in a, in, in a homemaker, homemaker capacity, sure. Then like, that's, that's, at any given time, the deal that you guys make, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yes. But that doesn't mean just like he or she could, you know, the other, you know, the other partner could decide, well, you know, people change jobs all the time and, and careers. And so you are, nobody is locked into 
just because one chose to be a homemaker, now I'm choosing to do something else. And as a, in a partnership with the other person, there's gotta be give and take. So exactly. like you're starting your thing. Well, now he has to adjust a little, right? You're going to have to drive that ship because he won't even know what to do. You know, I mean, and why would he, you know, you, it's like, I, exactly. I don't ask, but so, then it takes away from and now I'm doing this. I did a show today. I edited my show. That's I, right. I did the dishes. It's like, if he takes something off, I don't feel as accomplished. And it's like, why do I do that to myself? Mm-hmm. Why? Who? I don't feel accomplished to who? It's like, who is the judge of this? Right. And I don't judge other women. Right. So it's like, I don't be, I don't ever look at Instagram and be like, well, she didn't even work today. I don't have those thoughts. So why do I assume that I will be judged? Right. It's all my own shit. Right. <laughs> why do you? And I don't know. Only you can answer that question, right? How can you answer that question? You've got to find a time every single day to dial down the chaos. So whether that's like <clears throat> meditation or taking a walk, a device-free walk or taking a device-free bath or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that is incumbent upon you to do that because only you can come up with the answers and the answers are within you, but nobody else can find those answers for you, no. right? And so- yeah. You know, I use this analogy all the time. Like so many times I've had either in my office, uh, you know, like when in the startup world, when I was working with people like kind of run into the office or friends come and plop themselves down in front of me and say, oh my God, oh my God, I've got this idea I need to tell you. And then they tell me it and I go, that's amazing. How did you think about that? And time and again, the, the answer is, I don't know. I was just in the shower and it came to me. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? This is not a coincidence, right? Or I get a lot, I don't know. I was just waking up in the morning. I was half awake, half asleep, and it came to me. Mm-hmm. These are the only two times in the day for most people. You know, you're in the shower, you've got two minutes, you're two or three minutes, hot water's hitting you, you're massaging your head, washing your hair, you're not thinking about anything. You're mm-hmm. in a state of calm. What happens? An idea pops up. Yep. A valid thought pops up. Same thing right when you're waking up. You're awake, but you're not fully awake. You're you're conscious, but you're not. What happens? The mind is at rest. An idea pops up and you wake up. You go, that's good. What is that? Let me look at that. This is not a coincidence. Everything you need to know is here, is in you. But the only way to access it is to turn the volume to zero on chaos for 20 minutes a day, Mm -hmm. right? And diligently. And I promise you, you know, so you just said, why am I like this? I don't know you'll have the answer. Yeah. Not, exactly. not the first time you do it, but three weeks later, a month later, you'll start to be able to go, aha, 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 what? Oh, that's silly. Yeah. That doesn't make, that doesn't fit me that, you know, and, and so I'm not suggesting anybody become a Buddhist monk, but there, but you need to find a way to turn the chaos down to zero. It just, that's the only possible way. It's like what you say in the book, like, you don't give yourself time to sit with yourself because you almost don't want to go there. Right. Because we've got this fear, like, what am I going to find? What, you know, what if nothing comes up? What if I, there are, what if there are no answers? There are answers and you're going to have to take a leap of faith. That's what I just tell you. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Guys, we're moms. We're not out on the town every night anymore. We're chasing our toddlers through our kitchen. But there are those times where you want just that little extra something. Maybe it's a girl's night, a wedding, a date night, a work event. 
If you're looking for that little extra confidence boost, you need Rejuvalift. Rejuvalift delivers dramatic results to minimize the look of lines, wrinkles, crow's feet, those 11 lines that I have between my eyebrows. I use it on the bags under my eyes. Guys, it works in four minutes and delivers results up to seven hours. I've tried it. I'm obsessed. And now Squats and Margaritas listeners can get 20% off at rejuvaliftbeauty.com using code margaritas. That's R-E-J-U-V-A liftbeauty.com and use promo code margaritas. You need this in your life. Shipping is free. You get 20% off. Go to rejuvaliftbeauty.com. Now back to Squats and Margaritas. I just started being more spiritual. I interviewed Gabby Bernstein and I started reading her books and I'm running without AirPods where I was like, there's no way I'm going to be so bored. I'm going to have to come back and get them. And it's exactly what you're saying. Like I have to get back. I'm like, where's a pen? There's all these thoughts that, cause my mind is open. Yeah. And I'm in nature, which is another thing I feel like. Absolutely. So that's then that's, you know, that's your version of meditation, right? Exactly. I actually interviewed a hypnotherapist and she was saying that like, you have to figure out when you're going into that meditative state. Um, Like I do it when I drive, which sounds dangerous, but like you just kind of go into trance and then you'll snap back out of it. And I said, I think I do it when I run. And she's like the cadence of the, that you just go somewhere else. Totally. And also there's like the breathing when you're mm-hmm. doing, cause you have to have, you can't be like holding your breath and then, you know, you cannot, <laughs> you've got to right. find the rhythm of the breath and that's like breath coming in and out and in, and it's with the kid. And that's rhythmically the body just starts to become aligned. And when the body comes, then the mind, beca- and that's it. The whole thing works together. Yep. I'm just finding this. This has been such a great explanation of everything. I want to give people some tangible steps. This is not like a motivating, you should just do better. And you give tangible steps. And you said the first thing to like be more productive is you start by examining who we really are because nobody takes that step. So when I first started writing that book, that this book, I, I, you know, I hate the word productivity, right? I, I, it's, if you look at it, it's product centered. And that is again, fundamentally a problem because we are people doing things, right? Not products doing things. This is, cannot be equation of input, output, input, output. We're not robots. Right. And so I was really advocating with my agent, like finding a new word, like a neologism to suggest something that was more accurate around productivity. And she said, absolutely not. We're not creating new words in this book. So I said, okay, well then I, what I want to do is create something that, that feels like more aligned with just like input output. And so I came up with this acronym called POP, which was actually the original title of the book, the pop effect. And what pop stands for is personality, opportunity, productivity. Yep. And basically what I outline is you have to have an understanding of the first P and the O in order to get an equation of productivity that really is speaks to you and your goals. Mm-hmm. And the first step of that is P is personality. And that is really having a profound understanding of who you are, where you are, how you got here and where you want to go. And until you have really comprehensively answered those questions, you're just kind of out there swinging blindly. You're just getting to-do lists done. You're a hamster on a wheel, right? Yep. And that's what I kind of say, like, which I think you brought up 
this quote earlier, like without an intention, you might feel like the, the busiest person in the world, but you're busy, you're not productive. Yeah. And there's a huge, huge difference between those two things in my mind. So this fundamental understanding of who you are and being able to answer the personality part of this and that, you know, in the book, there are, you know, as you know, exercises, exercises to help like get you in the right direction of how to answer those questions. And again, you can only answer those questions when the the chaos volume is down to zero. This isn't something you can just put on a list and it's like, okay, what are these answers to these questions? You really have to sit with yourself and sit with the anxiety and the insecurity and the fear that you're going to inevitably feel a little bit when you sit down to do this, because you're probably going to be thinking, oh my God, you know, I'm 32, I'm 48, I'm whatever. Have I been in the wrong direction this whole time? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's people don't want that, but it's never too late to be able to correct pivot. It doesn't mean you have to go in the opposite direction, but even a small kind of shift can make you feel, start to feel whole and complete as opposed to like frustrated and exhausted, right? Just these tiny like iterations on what you might already be doing can be extremely helpful. So getting the answers clear on the, the personality section. And then once you have those questions answered, really looking at what is your realistic opportunity, right? So again, like you've got to be realistic. So here's your like set and your goals and what really speaks to you. And then now what is the actual opportunity literally around me in my vicinity? How can I plug into this in a way that actually makes sense? So like, you know, and, and with the internet, obviously this is, is a far more expansive thing because you don't have to literally be at a brick and mortar all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but you do have to be like, let's create the plan that makes the most sense so that like, you're not having to, you know, necessarily move to another city or drive four hours a day to get to where, cause then again, we're spinning wheels, we're getting tired. So like, what is kind of reasonably in your backyard that you can tap these your your goals and your personality into and then once you look at those two things then you can start to say okay now I can assess for productivity now I can assess for am I getting enough of the right stuff done not just stuff done but stuff that really moves the needle for me and I talk about in the book as you know like this idea of two concepts. Like, I don't think you should ever be doing, trying to work towards more than like three big goals at any one time. Mm -hmm. And ideally there would be one in kind of a professional bucket, one in like a a relational bucket. And then that's family or your relationship or whatever. And then one personal, whatever that is like something that speaks to you now at different times in your life, you know, if you're 28 and you're really career focused, you might have a couple in the career, but that makes sense. Maybe you're 36. You're thinking about having a family. You're going to have more, maybe a couple in the relational stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But generally you want to kind of have some balance there and where your goals are. And then I, and this is no easy task to drill down to just three goals. It seemed, you know, that we've got a lot of things we're trying to get it done in the day, but to really taper it down to three means you need to make some choices, right? And in your choices is how you also start to really understand who you are, right? Without making choices, we're kind of trying to be everything to everybody. You are the choices you make. So when you start to be making these choices, you start to really kind of bolster your own personality, your own voice, have clarity around that. So it's kind of an empowering thing to do, even though it's difficult. And then I ask you to do a seven day time challenge. So 
just like a food diet where you like write down everything you eat, you write down everything you do for seven days, you know, starting Monday morning and you kind of take it up until like Sunday morning and you do everything. Like, how do you spend your morning? You don't have to write down when you take a pee, but, but like when you get up, what do you do? Do you check your email? Do you go make breakfast? Do you make a coffee? Do you have a shower? You start right. How much time do you spend in the car when you're dropping off the kids or commuting to work or whatever? Mm -hmm. And then when you get to the end of the seven days, I want you to hold up that list of three things and look at how you're spending your time. And I guarantee you for 95% of you, your jaw will drop because almost nothing in that seven days will speak to these three goals. I probably like the average that I've found is 20% speaks to those three goals and 80% doesn't. Mm. It means you're spending 80% of your time moving other people's three goals forward. Yes. Yep. You need to flip that. So it needs to be 80% of time on this these three goals and not necessarily linear, but something that is helping to move these three goals either directly or indirectly. Right. So it's not always going to be like scheduling date time with my husband, but you, so you've got it. It's a little more vast than that, but, and then there's 20% of just like the drudgery of life, the stuff we've got to do because that's the way the world spins. Right. And so like, it's picking up the dry cleaning, it's what, but you know, doing things for a boss that, you just have to do, you know, the admin or the whatever. But do you have to do it or you can outsource those things? The things well, that have to be done, but maybe not by you. Right. Well, I don't exactly, look at it that way. Exactly. And that's how you're going to get that ratio. Yeah. Inevitably, okay. there's going to be 20% that you, you just got to do because sometimes life is boring and sometimes we have to get, and that's okay. We can't be working. One of the biggest fallacies for self-improvement in like the self-improvement space is that the goal is like, happiness all the time and we should be passionate and loving every single second of our life and that's just not um in tandem with the human experience right that we need to it's okay to feel bored it's okay to feel irritated in fact i say the only way you can feel joy and contentment is if you have a little irritation or angst right It's, it's 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 the yin to the yang i say it's like you were having an orgasm. That's great, right? Fabulous. What an incredible... But if you had an orgasm 24 hours a day, right. after two, I don't even know how long, you'd be like, God, this is annoying. <laughs> Turn it off. Right. You know what I mean? So there's way too, definitely too much of a good thing. And so like the drudgery of life is important. You just don't want it to take up more than like 5% of your life. Right? You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. And if it is, it's drudgery, but it's 20%. Like yeah. if it's 80%, that's where you need to look at it. And right. then you can look to outsource those things. I, um, I interviewed Mrs. The reigning Mrs. World and okay. her and I were the same. Like I was my martyrdom. I was like, I can't outsource because then I didn't do it. And she's like, yeah. this reframe changed everything for me. She's like, I'm the CEO and right. I am scheduling someone to pick up the dry cleaning, somebody to bring the DoorDash. I, I am making everything run by outsourcing. And she's like, when I look at it that way, it didn't seem as like daunting that she didn't do anything. And she also was saying, what is mine to do? You have to find what is yours to do. Something right. you can only do, the only you can do. Anyone right. can wipe a butt, anyone can make dinner, anyone can clean a bathtub. But the things that are yours to do, you do those and you outsource the other things. And right. you're the CEO outsourcing. So you're working, you're making everything run, even though you're not doing everything. And I was like, I right. like it. 
Yeah, well, you are, and you are doing something. You're making decisions and you're making choices. And that mm -hmm. is something. So like the deciding this can be done by that person, not me. This can be done, but, and then affecting that to happen. You are doing something. Exactly. You're just not doing the task you, you, that, 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 that doesn't help move one of your three things forward, right? Exactly. And that's a smart choice. When you were talking about outsourcing and it may not be, they may not put something away where you want them to. Yeah. That, I mean, obviously that would bother me, yeah. but what bothers me is the timeline, Aaron. Yeah. Like if I give something to my husband, if I did it, it would be crossed off the list right. so I could sleep at night, obviously right. done. If I give it to him, it's still left unchecked and he will right. do it, but he will do it on his own time. And right. for me, it may as well still be on my plate because he's, right. he didn't do it. So I'm just like, you know what? And then I martyr comes in, I'll just do it. And then I, so I can cross it off and it's done because I outsourced it. But if it's not complete, it's still looming and it's still like headspace for me. Right. Like, well, <clears throat> do, will he get it done? Eventually, but on his time. So it's still, it's still pending. It's not crossed off. <laughs> right. I can't that, have that. That's the thing. It's like, he's, he has a different rhythm and, and, but you need to coexist in the same house or this mm -hmm. or the same environment. So that's yours to work on. If the thing is going to get done. Yes. Right. Let go. You gotta let go of it. I can't. It's control. Like everything yes. has to be done my way and on my timeline. When you talk about like saying no, like how you're saying the woman's like, oh yeah, will you take the notes of this meeting? Sure, of course. But she was gonna pitch something. And now 45 minutes of writing up the notes and that's her time because you can't, you would never think of being like, no, I'm not going to do that. You don't right. want to disappoint anyone, right. but you right. said saying no ups your value. And I freaking love that. Totally. In my early kind of experience in the startup world. And I was just, again, I was just like, after a very crash and burn, uh, writing career, I was just kind of happy to be there. You know what I mean? Like happy to get the job. And so <clears throat> I was asked, I mean, it was a small startup and it was actually all men, um, like cool, smart guys, but it was unbelievable. Like it started out being like, you're okay, Aaron, can you take the notes at this meeting? And I was like the junior person there, like yeah. in truth, you know, I really was the, the newest hire. And, and so I was like, yeah, sure. Even though that was not what I was hired for, I was hired mm -hmm. as, a, as a writer. Um, and then every meeting, like I did it once. And then all of a sudden it was like, I'm the official note takers of, of the meetings. And then, um, you know, there was like, like birthday, like staff birthdays. And so it was like, we did this thing where it was like the company would order lunch for when any, somebody had a birthday. So it's like, Aaron, could you take everybody's order for lunch? Could you put the order in for lunch? That actually takes a long time going around. First of all, it's like I'm a waitress all of a sudden. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's exactly not around. what you were hired for. That's not what I was hired for. And um and so <laughs> here I am like in the taking time. Out. So I was ending up then going home and working because I wasn't able to like on those days, get my work done because I'm here. And then the lunch arrives and I'm putting every, Oh, here, uh, Jamie, here's your tuna melt. And here, <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, I say, this takes a lot of time, but I didn't even quite notice it at the time because again, I'm just happy to be there. And I'm definitely not going to say, no, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Now I would say, no, I'm not doing this. The thing about saying no is 
once you, and it's hard to, it's real, it is hard to start, you know, there's still an inherent insecurity. I think we're in a much different place now from a career perspective where people are a lot more respectful and careful with people's time. Not, and that's, it's not unanimous, but like, I, you know, this was not even a thought for people, you know, yeah. 15 years ago. It was like, this is do it. Yeah. You know you just do it. Like, oh, okay. Um, but it is still really a scary kind of thing, but you've got to self-advocate and like, you have to be clear. Is this something I don't want to do? Or is this something that I shouldn't be asked to do? It's not a question of like, every time you get something you don't want to do, that's yeah. no. Because right. no job is like, you know, skipping through like flower meadows, you know, like you, there's stuff, again, it's the drudgery of like, you be very careful that this is not in your purview before you say no, because then you're going to find, find yourself in trouble. But once you've kind of assessed that this isn't in your purview and you are being asked to do something that's well outside of, uh, you know, expectations, you have, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to find a way to self-advocate. And I always say, it's good to say, you know, like in the meetings, like taking notes, for example, in the meetings, instead of just like, oh, hey, Aaron, could you take the meetings? Instead of just being like, no, um, say, it's good to, you know, come in with a value proposition. Oh, you know, I actually have, I made some notes that I wanted to pitch and da, 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 da. It would be great if so-and-so could take notes today. Be really specific, not leaving it up in the air. And, and so saying like, I want some to contribute to this meeting so somebody else will take, you know, yeah. no this week and you set a new precedent and what that does once you're able to flex that muscle a couple times and get that muscle memory is it's jarring and it's a little scary but what it does is it you become a person that people understand it's a dead end for asking things that don't that are not in your purview so people stop asking you that so yeah. even though it's like so you start energetically just being like without even having to say it it's a no for me you know what I mean? Yeah. So start up front. It'll get easier. <laughs> but once you cultivate that and you, you bring this out into all aspects of your life, into your relationship, into your friendships, into your whatever, this stuff all works together. And the really, the real, the real reason I think this is important. And there are a lot of reasons, but the idea is to be able practicing saying no, right. Not, not saying yes, when you mean no, so that you can say yes and you have capacity and bandwidth to the right opportunity. If you're busy saying yes to the things you mean no to, yes. the yes opportunities that you really want or need go sliding right by you because you're in the weeds on the things that you said yes to that you really meant no. You need to practice saying no so you are available to say yes to the right things. Oh my God. And that's yes. how you start to build energy. That's how you start to build a career trajectory. That's how you build respect in, you know, romantic relationships and friendships and all of that stuff, all this stuff ties together. Right. Yes. So, <laughs> so true. And, 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 and again, like knowing what you need to say no to comes right back to that self audit piece. What, what really do I need to say yes to? And what really do I need to say no to only you can answer that, those things. Right. Yes. So otherwise, if you don't, if you don't have the answer, you're end up pulled in all these different directions by all of these, again, you're doing other people's goal lists, yeah. not yours. And so, um, so yeah, you just got to get really clear on you and then start taking action around that. So 
start practicing saying no. I always say start practicing saying no with your friends because that's like the safest space to do mm-hmm. it. Um, but to get to your career stuff quick. I just found it in my career. Um, this show is kind of, it's like a year and a half old, but a radio station hired me to do this. And so it was like, I can't let down the radio station. And like, I'm looking for guests and looking for guests for the first almost year, but then it started kind of taking off. So now I have agents pitching people to come on and I just didn't want to be mean. So when somebody would be pitched, I was like, sure. I'd love to talk to them. And cause I didn't want to be mean. And then I'm take Aaron, like the time I would take to like make this interesting all the time that was on me because I didn't want to say no. And now it's like, if somebody pitches, like I came for you, I asked you to be on the show because I knew that we would vibe, but I was saying yes, because I didn't want to hurt. The, I don't want the person to feel like I turned him down. And then I'm like, no, like my show is who could I have been interviewing when I'm interviewing this person that I just didn't want to be mean to. That's right. That's right. Is it going to be me or is it going to be them? And you've yeah. got to be you. And so like, that's a really good example of like doing, putting on a show like this takes a lot of work and not just like the nuts and bolts of it, like energetically, like you've got to really read material and you've got to like come up with questions. Then just yes. spending an hour with somebody, you know, that takes energy, that takes time. And it's like, mm, how long are you going to keep doing that? I know. Cause you said, you said yes, when you meant no. And now the person you really want to interview, you just missed them. Yes. Cause you're trying to find something interesting about this person that you just <laughs> didn't want to hurt their feelings. Um, I'm glad that you said that too, all the time that goes into it. Cause my husband's like, what time's your show? I'm like 12. So at 1158, he yeah. takes my three-year-old and I'm like, I could have used the yeah. hour before, but my husband is, const- <laughs> is yeah, constantly saying like, so what do you have? What do you have on today? And I'm like, if you need me to do something, be specific. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here. That's me. You. Yeah. I do that. I'm like, yeah. so do you, are you going to work out today? He's like, what do you need? What are you, what are you yeah. asking? Yes. Be, what are you asking me? I have not <laughs> in my agenda with you. <laughs> like, <sighs> I know. Um, this has been amazing. There was a couple of things that were just at the end, like these tangible things I wanted you to share intentional mornings. I freaking love it because I wake up and check my email, but I shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. So that was something that really changed, really, really changed my life. I used to, you know, as I said, I, well, I'm obviously still a writer, but back when I was, you know, in my first iteration of that, I used to really kind of fashion myself as like a night owl and like, I needed to be like staying up because that's when the creative juices were coming. And like, and then I'd like inevitably sleep in and then like my day would start. So, and I, it was like kind of fumbling around in the dark and I was having a real problem sleeping. And so somebody said to me, no, you've got to get up with like consistency. You've got, you know, and so that was kind of the first kind of germination of like, okay, I've got to put some shape around my morning. And so the way you kind of set up your day is like, you take that energy throughout the day. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was starting my day chaotically and kind of in a fog and guess what, that kind of persists throughout the whole day. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of pick up speed, you know, like, you know, 7 PM, you know, 8 PM, like, Oh, I'm, you know, but that was actually just a total cliche. Right. I was like, this is actually not how I'm wired at all. And let me try and get some structure because I'm having such bad insomnia that, you know, whatever. So you want to really set up your day. And again, it doesn't have to be like, it's not like hours. It can be 15 minutes or 20 minutes 
where you, you start your day intentionally with calm. You don't roll over and grab the phone because what happens is you look at these like presumably work emails and you're not in the office to really do anything about it. So you're not actually working, but your mind is spinning in work and you're still lying in your bed or you're walking around your house in your rub, you're not relaxing or, or, or focused in this way. So you're split, right? Wherever you want to be, you want to be whole. And you can't do that if you're like, I say this also about like, it's fine if you don't go to the gym tonight, if you're tired after work and you don't work out. Okay, that's fine. But say, I am not working out tonight. I am going, I'm choosing to relax. Do not sit in Netflix scrolling your work emails or to choose an hour or however long you need and say, I am just relaxing right now and I will go to the gym tomorrow. But sitting there going, oh my gosh, you know, with, with a show on, I should have worked out. Why didn't I work out? Oh my God, I had those fries. Da, da, da. So you're not relaxing and you're not working out. You're split. You don't want to be split. You need to make choices and then commit to them. So I'm going to relax tonight, but I'm getting up 30 minutes earlier or whatever. And I'm working out tomorrow morning or whatever. And then say, I've now I've decided that I'm just going to relax. So back to the morning routine. You want to be able to find, to carve out some moment of calm or peace. Even if it's you sitting on your bathroom floor for five minutes, just like, ha, ah, <laughs> do that. You know what I mean? Because this is the energy you're going to take throughout the rest of the day. And so you just want to get clear on that. What energy do I want to take throughout the day? Calm, focused, calm, focused. The way you set up your morning, and I talk about it in the book, like, diff, you know, I have my thing where I actually meditate in the morning. I know that's not possible for everybody. So you've got to find what's possible for you and then do that and commit to that and just keep reminding yourself, this is the energy I'm taking through the day. You don't want to be holding burnt toast and have coffee spilled on your robe and screaming, we got to go. <laughs> and that energy you're taking throughout the rest of the day, whether you know it or not. So of course, life is not perfect. Of course, there's going to be burnt toast and kids that have, you know, lost their sock or whatever. And you can't get out the door, but you don't want that to be the norm. And we start leaning into that default setting. Again, it's like the martyr. And it's like, <sighs> it's like things. Woe well, is me. This way. <laughs> things do not, do not have to be this way. Just make a different choice. Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't take any more energy to do it the other way. No, I know. Right? Same amount. It's, it might be less energy to do what, what I'm talking about as opposed to whatever. So, so there is always a different choice. You just have to find out the right one that's for you. And you just can't be dialing in, dialing in behavior because that's when you're in trouble. I love it. This has been so fabulous. I know we talked the whole time about um, your first book, you also have how to break up with your friends that is out now. What else is coming up for you? Um, I am working on a TV show called friendship therapy. Well, I mean, what? we're pitching it. We're pitching it, but Amazing. Um, I didn't think you were going to say that. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're, so we'll see. That's kind of in, that's, that's kind of in the pipeline and, and we'll see. That is so cool. And where can people find you on social? at Aaron Falconer or at pick the brain. That's my blog. Um, and the, the books are everywhere you buy books. Thank you so much for listening to the squats and margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So you never miss an episode and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of squats and margaritas.
To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.